0: Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. How we doing? Good. Um, is there a party going on, on this side of the room that I don't know about? Y'all just left these poor people over here by themselves. That's a shame. You know what I'm saying? No, I ain't talking about the sound level. I'm just talking about like, you know what I'm saying? Like we're all the way back, and then we're over here. They just I love y'all. And if I was out there, I would be with y'all. I just want y'all to know that. Uh, it's good to see you today uh, as we get to the exciting conclusion uh, of our series, The Magnificent Seven, uh, why God chooses what we have discovered to be uh, more than questionable people uh, to do remarkable things. I hope this series has been helpful for you. Uh, i got to be honest, I'm kind of sad as this comes to an end. It kind of feels like uh, the end of a championship season or, uh, you know, for those of you who are athletes or the end of a beautiful piece of music, for those of us who are classical music enthusiasts, uh, I have just so enjoyed this series and the things that it has brought out of the word for me, Uh, not just in in teaching it, but every single week I learned something new. I grew to new depths. I was challenged to actually believe the breadth of the gospel in a deeper way, and I hope you have experienced the same. Uh, if you've missed any of those messages, please go to our YouTube channel, like and subscribe, right? And then I have an announcement to make. Uh, after a long, 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 long layoff, uh, the Renovation Church podcast is back. And so... Uh, if you want to go on and to your favorite podcast provider, you can get it there as well. Uh, but we'd love for you guys to catch up on those messages if you missed any one of them. If you have any questions today about anything that I say at all, sermon or not related, uh, you can text those to nine four zero zero zero, and we will be glad to answer those questions. As always, go ahead and hit that QR code that is for you. Uh, we put a lot of work into that to make sure you can leave this moment in this space and have the capacity to dig into the nuggets and the heart of these messages uh, uh, on your own time and that you're actually uh, getting into the word of God. That is where transformation happens. We believe that the gathering fundamentally important. In fact, if you're streaming today, come back to church. All right. Uh, The gathering is fundamentally important, uh, but equally important is for you to leave this moment and continue to feast on the good things that God is doing. Uh, As we go there, I want to ask you a question. and, And I really want you to think about this. How bad do we have to be before God just says no? No more. No mas. How bad do we have to be? And I want you to sit there for a minute, seriously, sit there for a minute and let some things run through your mind. How bad, How? where is the line that we cross where we are completely out of the scope of God's love and usefulness? I want you to think about it. Is it murder? Well, we know we've seen that in the Bible, so maybe not. Is it some kind of grotesque sexual sin or, or, or something uglier than that? Maybe it's terrorism. The reason why I want you to think about that is because if if Timothy McVeigh, who blew up a significant building in Oklahoma City, or Osama bin Laden walked into Waterplace right now and said, Can you tell me how to join a small group? I've begun to believe in Jesus. What would you do? How would you respond? How would you react? How would you receive such an invitation? I ask you to consider these things. Because as we close our series together, we're going to be looking at the Bible's uh, foremost terrorist and church planter turned pastor who did a number of horrible, horrible things before he came to faith. So much so that the local church was indeed afraid of him, too fearful to even welcome him. And the question that I want to ask you is Would you? Would you? So let's read together in the book of Acts. This is Dr. Luke's companion to his record on Jesus' life and work in the book of Luke. Uh, it's a second piece to that, and we're going to be in chapter 7. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting and they rushed him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Man, I just want God to sanctify me to that degree right? Don't charge them with this sin. I'd be like, open up the ground and swallow all these fools. (laughs) And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, don't miss this, all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But Saul was going around everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women and throwing them into prison. The word of the Lord, and would you say back to me, thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We believe in your word. We want to trust in your word. Lord, I pray that great prayer, prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief today that we might be fundamentally transformed by what you have put in front of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and the people of God, say it together. Amen and amen. Though uh, I need to handle this with some level of sensitivity, uh, I want to share with you where I was and how I experienced the terrorist attack that we experienced together as a nation. On 9/11. I was in university at the time. I was at Oklahoma University. Some of you were probably still in diapers. And that's okay. Uh, the spirit of God is still with you. Go! I, I appreciate that acknowledgement back there in the back. And, and uh, we were in the training room at the time. Several different sports athletes shared this training room. And it was packed that day. And, and that day I had recently had the first of several uh, random painful things that go on with my back. Very similar to what happened a few weeks ago. And I was in the training room getting something called STEM on my back and I was laying there trying to zone out both the pain of the incident itself and also the pain of the treatment because it was it was hurting me and so I looked up at the television because usually they play movies in the training room weird movies like Die Hard and not weird but you know it's like I'm in here to get like fixed and I'm watching a man jump from a building and and so uh, I looked up at the television and, and I saw the second plane flying to the Twin Tower and I remember thinking what movie is this? Is this one more of their crazy action films that they're watching while they're supposed to be helping us fix our stuff? And, and, and then the camera panned from the chaos of what was actually happening with the plane down to a reporter and I realized in a moment this is not a movie, this is a real life event, this is happening right now in our country and at that moment I went into a little bit of a panic because at the time my late brother Christopher was living in New York and my first thought was, is he okay? Is everything okay? Was he anywhere near ground zero? And then my thoughts went from there to my uncles and my aunts who live in Brooklyn and live in Queens and I began to panic a little bit and so I called my brother over and over and over and over again and he wouldn't answer the phone and then I called my mom and she didn't answer the phone. Well, it turns out that she was on the phone checking on other family members and about 45 minutes went by before I actually heard from my brother and he told me that he was safe even though he was as shell-shocked as anybody else would have been in that moment. Well, in the days that followed, several interesting things happened in our country and in our culture that again, some of you won't be old enough to remember. But the first thing that happened is uh, many, many people became incredibly patriotic. Y'all remember this country music sales soared. <laughs> right? Toby Keith went from being the weird dude that hung out at college parties to being like legitimately famous in one night with one song with the center of the song was, I will put a boot in your, it's the American way. I'm like, yeah, that's how we're going to win the hearts of people. Um, and, and that patriotism, the second thing that happened is that patriotism quickly turned into prejudice and racism yep. against brown people, particularly Arab people. And all of a sudden things got super weird at the airports and you didn't want to wear things on your head anymore. you were going to get frisked. And, 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 and then there was a third thing that happened. The third thing that happened is people got super religious and church attendance swelled. It was incredible. Everybody went back to church. Everybody went back to church at once because, you know, nothing solves a terrorist attack like Jesus and guns. Now, I will not be being honest. So I need to say this. And I got drug on Twitter recently for saying this, but I've been drugged many times before. Now, the reality is that most of the terrorist attacks that happen in this country do not come from the outside. They come from the inside. So I didn't pick 9-11 to to defuse that. I picked 9-11 because it was such a dramatic and soul-grabbing event for the whole country. It was significant. And I didn't pick this moment to trigger anybody if you're triggering them, sorry. And I didn't pick it to start a political debate because frankly, at this point, I just can't care. I chose this moment to make you wrestle with the question that if those men somehow survived and if they served their jail sentence and if they had a jailhouse confession and if they somehow came to Jesus, if they walked through those doors and said, I'd like to join your small group. Me and my wife, we need marriage counseling. Can you tell me how the community is involved in local events? What would you do? How would you respond? Let me take it one step further. Could you ever allow them to be your pastor or your preacher or your teacher or your leader? Could you allow that? Because you submit to their leadership. Because you submit to their leadership without thinking, didn't you? You see, that's the question before us today. Is there, is there a line we cross before we are deemed to lost? Is there a line we cross before we are deemed too lost? Now, you may be thinking to yourself right now, well, of course, P.L., the gospel is expansive and it is steep, and Tim Keller said, okay. (laughs) Let's see if that stands when you face your local terrorist, your local gangbanger, your former trafficker. Does it still stand? Does it still stand? Because even though we haven't had to wrestle with those questions, The first church did. And a man named Saul of Tarsus showed up to the front door and he said, hey, what y'all eating? And they said, you can't come in here, my boy. Their hearts were turning and their minds were turning and they were afraid. And they had to decide in that moment if they actually believed the breadth and depth of the words Jesus said. That's where we find ourselves today. Saul of Tarsus, later called Paul, reveals a lot about himself. If you read his letters, listen, I'm only gonna say it once this sermon, stop reading the Bible like an ancient document that did not happen to actual people. Saul tells you a lot about himself in the letters that he wrote to the churches that he helped to found. He tells you that before he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like the ones who actually killed Jesus. He considered himself blameless according to the law of Moses. He was filled with religious zeal. We know that Saul was at one point married. How do we know that? Because historically, we know that in order to be a Pharisee, you had to have a wife. We don't know what happened to his wife. We just know that he had one at one point. We know that he was well-trained under a foremost religious leader named Gamaliel in Jewish customs and law. And we know from his own words that he was a terrorizer of the people who followed the way of Jesus. In fact, listen to his own words. I am a Jew born in Tarsus a city in Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything that I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way of Jesus. Look at it, hounding some to death. Arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus. Authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. That's in your Bible. About the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was a member, N.T. Wright says, of the radical Shemammite party, which N.T. describes as, listen to this, a militant hardliner party that was not willing to work with Rome as long as they could study the Torah. He was an ultra conservative. Reacting to what he perceived, please listen to this, reacting to what he perceived was a dangerous liberal view. And the dangerous liberal view? was that Jesus was the Messiah and that the high priest had killed him. What you have in Paul's own words is the backdrop for where we find ourselves today in this story. Acts opens up with the Holy Spirit falling and everybody gets tongues. Hope you get that one day. Acts chapter two, Paul and, and, or Peter rather stands up and preaches. Several thousand people come to faith and they believe in Jesus. The religious elite get upset. They start acting up. They start throwing them in jail. Every time they go to jail, they come back out of jail. They keep preaching the gospel. In fact, Acts chapter four is my favorite chapter because they go to jail. Peter and John are questioned. They're like, this is what happened. Blah, 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 blah. The Pharisees are like, how do y'all know this? You're unlearned men. They're like, we don't need no learning. We've been with Jesus. And they're like, hey, don't talk about Jesus no more. And Peter's goes, I don't know what you're going to do. But I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. And then he goes back to the house and he tells them what happened to the house. And instead of praying to be safe, they asked the Holy Spirit for more boldness to preach the gospel. And every single day, because of that, thousands of people were added to the church. Oh God, let it be us. Shake our house and send us out with more boldness. Now in the middle of all of that, In the middle of all of that, this rhythm of life that the early church was leading, we jump into the story of a man named Stephen. Stephen is framed by a group of leaders from a local synagogue. The men went to Stephen and they challenged his teaching, but they could not stand up to that wisdom that God had put inside of him. And they couldn't stand up to the spirit that was residing on him. And so when they could not get him face to face, they did what all people like that do. They went behind his back and they lied and accused him of things that he never said. That's where we are today. Like Jesus, they dragged Stephen before the religious leaders. Like Jesus, they drummed up false witnesses and false accusers to say that Stephen said things that he did not say. And like Jesus, they claimed that every word out of his mouth was both dishonoring to Moses and dishonoring to God. As Stephen prepared to speak, I love this, and address their nonsense, it says that they stared at him. Because his face became as bright as an angel's. Father God, would you give us that kind of anointing in this house? Where we would glow with the glory of God. Am I the only one that wants that? Amen. For all 12 of us, praise God. For the rest of you, get free today in Jesus' name. This is the backdrop. And I recommend that this week, when you get a chance, you go and you read his entire sermon. It's powerful. And he tells the story that God is telling, starting with Abraham, our favorite father, who trafficked his wife twice, right through Moses, who put himself in the place of God up to the point of Jesus' murder. And when they hear him tell this story, we already read it together. When they hear him tell this story, they get upset. Why do they get upset? Because he turns to them at the end of the sermon and he says, you stiff necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. And now you have become as betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law, oh my goodness, as ordained by angels, yet you did not keep it. You are the ones that received the gospel as ordained by God, but did not keep it. You are the ones that received the spirit as ordained by God, but you chose power and politics instead of love, glory, and mercy. That is what Well, unsurprisingly, they were upset. We call this a tipping point. Doctor Luke tells us that they literally lost their minds. They literally lost their minds. They shook their fist. I mean, who does that? Like, I've only ever experienced that from three-year-olds. I said no. They threw themselves into a rage. But Stephen, I love this. Stephen was unfazed. Again, I'm going to say it one more time for posterity. God, make us a people unfazed by other people's foolishness. Boy, you think we might be a powerful church then? I've literally been praying this. I'm going to invite you into my prayer life. I've literally been praying this. I've been asking the Lord to make me a non-anxious, non-reactive presence even in the face of intense foolishness. <laughs> Stephen unfazed says that full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed up into heaven, saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And hearing his words, we already read this together. They freaked out, screamed at the top of their lungs. They murdered him right outside of the city walls. Now you may be thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with Saul? Well, look at it right there. It says after they did what they did, they took their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, what does that mean? Why is is that significant and important? Well, there's two things you see there. One, if I take off my coat in that culture and I lay it at your feet, what I'm telling you is I am submitting myself and my act to your authority and your oversight, which is why Saul in receiving their coats, stand there and says, I agree with what you've done. I agree with what you have done. Now, following the murder of Stephen, Luke tells us that there is a wave of persecution in the church. That Saul was ravaging the church. Going from house to house. Dragging people to their death. And I'm going to ask you one more time. Did Saul cross a line that made him too loss? Even in this moment. Did he go one too far? You know. Maybe it's hard for us to relate to this word persecution because aside from the cries of that new religion, once correctly called evangelicalism, uh, the church in America has experienced little to no persecution. Amen. Yeah. We don't know what that's like, yeah. but our brothers and sisters in Sudan do. Our brothers and sisters in uh, China do. Our brothers and sisters in Iraq and Iran, they still know what it's like to be dragged from their homes. They still know what it's like to live in fear. They still know what it's like for the church to have to go underground. And so here's what I ask you, even as we engage this part of the story, even though we cannot relate from experience, let us try to empathize with Christians all over the world that are still living exactly like this. This is what they were living under. Now, following this moment of Stephen's murder, Dr. Luce's narrative shifts briefly. You'll see that when you go and read it for yourself. But then he returns to the story of Saul in chapter 9. That's how we know that it's connected. Meanwhile, so while all, and some cool stuff happened. Ethiopian dude came to faith, spread the faith through Ethiopia. A guy, generations later, taught Martin Luther, Martin Luther the Bible. Martin Luther went back to Europe and took credit for it. That's the actual history. That's true. Just so you know, that's the actual history. Martin Luther went down to Ethiopia, learned that the Bible was superior to Catholic rule, and he was like, wow, I didn't know that. And Then he went back to Europe, and he was like, my 99 theses. No, no, four of them. Four of them were the ones he didn't tell where he got them from Deacon Stephen. So, we shift back to Saul and it says, meanwhile, while all this other stuff was happening in the life of the church, Saul was still breathing threats and still on his murderous rampage, looking for a reason to continue his attacks. Breathing threats against followers of the way of Jesus, literally on his way to continue terrorizing, into Jesus. Enter Jesus. And it says that Saul was on the road to Damascus. A a bright light suddenly flashed from heaven. It shone down around him. And he was so startled by the light that he fell to the ground. And when he fell to the ground, he heard a voice cutting through the light saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Now, I want to be very clear. That is not a profession of faith. It's the same usage as we would say, who are you, sir? And the response, Jesus says, is, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Whatever Saul was feeling in that moment, it didn't keep him from obeying Jesus. And I thought to myself as I read this, this is a a powerful man. This is a leader. This is somebody who thought he had all authority. And all of a sudden, one word from God, and he is completely humbled. Led by the hand into the city into which he was going to go and persecute. One wonders in this moment if Saul thought to himself of the words that Jesus said to the Pharisees before he was persecuted, before Abraham was, I am. And all of a sudden, this Jesus, well, he might be a little more real than Saul actually thought he was at first. Across town, in another part of the city, a man named Ananias was receiving a vision. The Lord spoke to him, and I love this. And Ananias said, "Yes, Lord." And the Lord said, "Go over to the street, call straight to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying right now. I have shown him a vision of the man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again." Now, if you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, here's my one ask where you hear something like that. Just leave room that there might be things going on around you that are far beyond your lived experience. Let's just believe for one second that he had this vision. And in this vision, God tells him to go and see Saul. At the same time, God has given Saul a vision. A vision during his prayer that Ananias will come to him and lay hands on his eyes so his eyes would be restored. Now, come back with me for one minute to the beginning of our time. Timothy McVeigh, Osama bin Laden, many other terrorists in between. What would you do if God asked you to go to them? Now you may have said there at the beginning of the sermon, all Jesus up from magnifying me like, thus saith the Lord, wherever He hath sent me, I shall go no matter what the call. Okay. You're talking about a terrorist. We struggle dealing with difficult people. Okay. What would you do? And so you can empathize a little bit with Ananias' response, can't you? And Ananias says, "Uh, nah, I'm not going. But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done. I ain't finna go over there. That's the rest of the translation. I know you the plug, but I'm the wrong one. I'm not going. And and I want you to think about this for a minute. How afraid, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. How afraid do you have to be of somebody to tell the audible voice of God what you're not gonna do? Now, we're very adept at ignoring the still small voice. But an audible voice? Even Moses knew better. God was like, take your shoes off. Moses was like, my bad. We ain't not no shoes in my house, Moses. Okay, Lord, my bad. You got some slippers? No? Okay, I'm good. My toes, I ain't, you know, I ain't been working on my feet. But hey, don't look at them. How scared do you have to be? I need you to put yourself there. We read words. These were experiences. This was a man who heard the audible voice of God and said, I don't think you got it right on this one. I don't think I can go over there. Um, is Peter, John, one of them uh, available. Uh, Cephas, he, I mean, he deal with people like that. I, he a felon. He won't be scared. He cut somebody ear off. So, I mean, he's strapped, so send him. How afraid do you have to be? This was the fear that, that, that Saul struck In the hearts of the church. And why not? After all he had done. But listen, watch what happens. Watch what happens. God tells Ananias, don't worry about it. This man has a call on his life. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to go to people uh, in the Jewish community. He's going to go to non-Jewish people. He's going to go to royalty and to rulers and authorities. And I will show him what it costs to follow me. And he's going to know some of the pain he inflicted on my followers. And so that's what he did. He went and he says that he laid hands on him. And I don't want you to miss this. And he said, brother Saul. Now you say, okay, pastor. No, 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 no. Hear it again. Hear it again. How can somebody... Call this man brother after everything he's done. This is not insignificant. Ananias likely knew people that Saul killed, that Saul dragged off, that Saul brutalized. How can he call him brother? Ananias knew people who were literally scattered from their homes. Religious refugees. This is people marching across Sudan in fear for their lives and their persecutor gets the faith of Jesus and you are sent. How do you call them, brother? I need you to get this. I need you to get this because the, the gospel is so profound. That a terrorist becomes a sister or brother in Jesus' family. Let me tell you, you, you and, and hear this with love, hear this with love. You want to know the, the, the main problem with your faith is your gospel is too small. It's too small. You don't think the grace of God can cover your little computer problem? You don't, you don't think the grace of God, that the, that the gospel doesn't run deep enough to cover your discontent? You think you've gone too far? Look at Jesus move towards Saul. You think you've done too much? Look at Jesus move towards Saul. You think your story's too shattered? Look at Jesus move towards Saul. You think your past is too deep? Look at Jesus move towards Saul. You think your problem's too profound? Look at Jesus move towards Saul. Don't diminish the power of the gospel down to the measure of your own disbelief or refusal to receive the word that God has spoken over you. This is the profound nature of the gospel. There is no too far. There is no chasm too great. There is nothing too deep. And so in this moment, Ananias can look at this man and say, Brother Saul, while you were praying, God sent me to you. Please don't kill me. Brother Saul, God has sent me to you. You're about to be forever united to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Your life is going to change forever. And suddenly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And in that moment, his story changed forever. Why? Because Jesus changes everything Saul was now a son of god in the family of god with the purpose of god it didn't matter what came before this moment everything had changed now at the same time and we got to be we got to be sensitive to this when he got to jerusalem they were like huh You got some on you? <laughs> I always imagined it like when Debo showed up, like I'm going to tuck mine in. <laughs> it says they were afraid of him. And, and, and look at this, and this made me sad. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Now we can't blame them. Solid terrorized the church, ruined their lives, scattered them from their homes. In fact, as I read this, I, I, I thought to myself, could you imagine Joseph Coney showing up to a church gathering in Uganda and being like, hey, I want to worship with y'all now. I'm saved. Yeah. Pol Pot showing up to a gathering in Cambodia being like, hey, I'm sorry for all the murders. I want to I be a part of your church now. How would we respond? How would we react? Our base instinct at a minimum, minimum would be caution and guardedness. And yet we see here that Saul has an advocate. He has an advocate. His man, Ananias, stood up for him and Barnabas stood up for him and brought him to the apostles and told them that Saul had seen the Lord and that everything was different now and that they were gonna choose to believe the best. Why? Because, because, because the most broken people need the most patient grace in Jesus' family. You want the church to be the church that the church should be? Let's make room for messy, messy, messy people. I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying don't be wise. What I'm saying is let's not decide who belongs and who doesn't before they even come through the door. Let's make room for the fact that God can radically change somebody's story forever. That the greatest line steppers, habitual line steppers, get the kindest advocacy from those who are filled with the spirit of God. In no other way of life, no other movement would Saul have been so quickly welcomed in. In no other way of life, in no other movement would Saul have been able to become a pastor in a church. In no other way of life, in no other religious movement. Would Saul have been able to become a leader in the entity, the family, the body, the movement that he once persecuted. Nothing is like the way of Jesus. Now, as we land this plane, we not only conclude Paul's story, we conclude our series. And when we started this journey, I asked you, remember what I asked you? When you think about a biblical character, what do you imagine? And some of y'all have been churched so long in your life. That every single week, every single week, your heart dropped just a little bit lower. He's like, oh, we lost Noah. Not Abraham, Lord. Oh, God, Abraham. Tamar, oh, Jesus, why? Moses, Please, no, not Moses. He the most humble man on earth. Yeah, not too humble to put himself in the place of God. And my hope as we went through this was for you guys to see that these were real people with real problems to whom you can relate so that you would stop downplaying the capacity that God has put inside of you. I hope that as we wrestled with this, that you have finally accepted that you can do something remarkable for God. Because listen, if if we find in the line of Jesus, in in the family line of Jesus, people with predatory behavior, incest, violence, prostitution, shame, and drunkenness, if we find in the followers of Jesus who literally built the church, Lying and heresy and felonies and terrorism. Then what remarkable thing can be kept from us? This is all I've been trying to listen. This is what I've been trying to get you to see. That the gap is not with God, it's with us. with us, beginning to believe for the first time, you are not the sum of the last worst thing you did. Beginning to believe for the first time, you are not the sum of your lowest moments. Beginning to believe for the first time that what you have done and what has been done to you does not define you. To begin to believe for the first time that you, listen, you are free and not bound. You are free but I can't believe that for you. You have to believe that for you. I pray for it for this house every day. You guys have no idea how much time I spend praying for you to turn the corner and realize that when Paul wrote, you are a masterpiece made by a master craftsman for a master work that Paul wrote that. And if he can believe it about himself and he can believe it about that church, when will you believe it about you? It's your move. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the depth of your gospel and your grace. Thank you, Lord God, that you continue to remind us over and over again that you choose crooked people to draw straight lines, that you choose broken people to be healers, That because Jesus is our Savior, there is nothing we have done or have had done that prohibits us from doing remarkable things in him. And so I pray now a blessing over this house, over these people, that they would receive this today as truly good news. And because of it, they would never be the same. In Christ's name, amen can we rejoice for the word of God together amen let's stand in worship